You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Five. Jim's house was on Market Street close to the bay and was surrounded by office buildings and modern design. But it still looked the way it had when he'd bought it in the spring of 1986. It was an old-style house with a bay window in the front, three floors and a big basement. He had received several offers to purchase the house and lot, but every time he refused. There was something about that particular lot, something that appealed to him. Besides, being the only residence on the street filled with offices meant that after work hours, it was extremely peaceful. He closed the front door and walked through the front hall towards the stairs to his bedroom. The house, even though it was fairly big, more or less doubled as a museum of all the things he had collected in his long life. Souvenirs, trinkets, and memories filled almost every inch of the house, and only someone used to the passages between the stacks of boxes, statues, vases, furniture, and various exotic items could navigate it without knocking something over. Mercedes had visited his house a few times and often told him it looked like an episode of Hoarders, whatever that was, most likely one of the TV shows she watched. Jim liked his house, and he was usually not keen on disturbances here. He had a TV, but never used it, and didn't even have a phone. Jim went to his bedroom, which was the only room apart from the kitchen that looked semi-regular. They were also the only rooms in the house he actually spent time in. Closing the bedroom door, he stripped to his shirt and pants and lay down on the bed. He stacked the pillows under his head and got comfortable. He reached over and set his old alarm clock for four hours. He assumed from what Anderson had said that the clock would help him regain his focus on his physical self if he somehow found himself trapped somewhere in the spirit world. When the clock rang, his mind would spring back here. If I'm still alive, that is, he mumbled to himself. Anderson had seemed to take this very seriously, and even though the man was usually a very mellow person, Jim felt that he might be justified in this. He was treading new ground, and it was good to have someone at your side. He considered for a moment if he should have asked Mercedes or Andrew to watch his body, but decided he was being overly cautious. After all, he was in his own house, behind locked doors. He doubted he was in any danger. Anderson had suggested sleeping pills, but Jim didn't need them for this. He had long ago mastered the art of meditation. He turned the lights off and closed his eyes, focusing his mind into a single point and imagining his consciousness as a point of light above his forehead. Slowly he raised the point higher and higher, feeling himself drifting up with it until his body felt light and relaxed. His limbs felt like they were filled with warm water, and his mind began to drift off. Anderson, he whispered in a thick voice. Anderson Kramer, come to me. 
Suddenly he could hear Anderson's voice, speaking from somewhere close by. All right, Jim. Now open your eyes and focus on my voice. Jim opened his eyes. He saw nothing different about his room, but the voice came again. Get up and come out here, Jim. Puzzled, Jim got to his feet and stepped into his shoes again. He opened his bedroom door, and his eyes widened. Anderson Kramer was sitting, casually relaxing, on a red velvet couch in a room big enough to fill the inside of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and still have leftover space for a few local churches. The room was lit with thousands of candles, all burning with a quiet yellow flame. Wow, Jim said, looking around. This is the spirit world? Anderson got to his feet. No, this is a room in the spirit world. One of my own little constructs. Just like the room you just came out of is your construct. Jim turned his head. His bedroom looked the same as always. It's not unusual for people who manifest in here through meditation or dreams to make their own bed their starting point. It's a place you feel safe. But when you leave that room, all bets are off. I just put my room next to yours, so to speak. Jim began walking towards Anderson, and surprisingly seemed to move faster than usual through the large room. When he reached Anderson, he noticed that instead of his usual semi-transparent spirit form, Anderson now looked solid. Healthy, in fact. So do each other. You don't look like ghosts. Interesting. Anderson blinked in surprise, but then shook his head. Jim, you don't get it. The mind is king in here. We look just like we want to look. I see. All right, so I'm here now. How do I find the spirits that were touched by the soul eater? Anderson's face conveyed regret and determination at the same time. I can't believe you really want to go through with that, but if you insist... I'll take you to one of the more common areas where you can contact a lot of spirits. But I want you to promise me something. Some spirits might react to you differently because you are different. You're not dead. Some of them might be friendly, some might be hostile. Don't fight the ones that try to provoke you. Just ignore them and they will go away. At least as long as you stay with me. If the Soul Eater shows up, however... I don't want you to try anything stupid. Just wake up right away. I'll give it a try. I have an alarm clock in my room. No, I mean right then. Just wake yourself up. Force yourself awake like you're having a bad dream. If you tangle with the Soul Eater, you're not going to live long. You're going to be like Bilbo the Hobbit in a one-on-one -on -one with the Dragon Smog. How do you even know about Tolkien? Jim asked. Anderson grinned. Come on, man, who doesn't know The Hobbit? Besides, I can still watch movies. But that's beside the point. Whatever. I promise I'll do my very best. What does the Soul Eater look like, anyway? When I saw one, it looked like a mass of tentacles and eyes. But again, since I can look however I want, it might be able to do the same. I honestly don't know. Okay, I'm ready then. Take me out. Anderson put his hand on Jim's shoulder, and suddenly their surroundings changed. 
Jim now found himself in the middle of a large, busy town square. People were everywhere, going to and fro, standing in groups and talking. The sound level was high, and Jim looked around with interest. Everyone looked perfectly human to him. Anderson took his arm and led him through the crowd, until they found a place near a small fountain where they could sit down. The benches around the square were all filled, but they sat down on the edge of the basin. Jim could feel how some of the people were watching him, pointing to him and smiling. So far, no one appeared hostile. They seemed to regard him mostly as curious. So do you know the name of one of the people you want to contact? Anderson said. Jim wished he had brought the list of names with him into the spirit world, but he trusted his memory. Robert Joseph Taylor, he said, recalling the name of the missing boy from 2007, the last one to fit the pattern of the 15-year gap. From Miami, Florida. Anderson put both his hands together and seemed to concentrate. He whispered the name several times, then looked up and spread his hands wide. Jim felt the immense power that emanated from him, something he'd only caught vague hints of through the man's spirit form. The crowd on the square seemed to also feel this display of power. They seemed to pull slightly back from the fountain, as if a cold wind had touched them. Through the crowd came a boy of about ten. He had short blonde hair and a handsome face, a few freckles scattered on his cheeks. He looked at Anderson and then at Jim with wide, interested eyes. Who are you two? he asked, puzzled. How did you know my name? You don't need to worry about that. Anderson looked at the boy and patted the edge of the fountain. Come sit down. I am this man here. would like to ask you some questions. Talk to you for a while, if that's okay, man. Sure. It's been a while since I talked to anyone. The boy sat down and looked at them. I'm, well, you know that already. I'm Jim, and this is Anderson. Robert, Bobby. Nobody calls me Robert. All right, Bobby. I want to talk to you about what happened to you, how you died, and what happened the night your parents died. Bobby seemed to shrink back a little. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. I don't like to think about it. Listen, Bobby. Out in the living world, whoever did this to you and your family killed more people since you died. If you can tell us more, maybe we can find him or her. Her? Bobby shivered. It was a woman. Jim already knew from Lindsay's story, but didn't want to give away anything. Tell me about her. She was blonde, tall, very pretty. She woke me up and said that she was there for me. I don't know how she got in. That doesn't matter so much. Go on. She said she was there to get me. That I was special. That I was chosen to be the next. And that she was going to make my parents become my ticket. Your ticket? She said that... Everyone special had to pay to become part of it, and that they had to. Bobby put his face in his hands. Jim put his hand on the boy's shoulder to comfort him. It felt warm under the t-shirt the boy was wearing. Incredibly warm. 
She said I could be part of it when I trained and paid the price. So we did it. We? Jim suddenly felt a nagging fear in his mind. You mean you helped kill them? Yes, I helped. And we made them my ticket. And then we left and I was going to be the next one. But I got really sick and died. So she told me to wait here until she could get me. The boy looked up from his hands. His eyes were no longer quite human. They shone with a bright red glow. Jim pulled his hand back with an expression of surprise and revulsion on his face. Anderson stood up quickly, but the moment his body was out of balance, Bobby pushed a hand into his stomach and knocked him backwards into the fountain with a splash. The big man fell like a tree, with an almost comically surprised expression on his face. He raised his head over the surface, coughing. You're the soul eater in disguise? Jim asked, getting to his feet and pulling back. Around them, people who saw Bobby's eyes screamed and pulled away from them, clearing a large open space on the square. No, I got sick and died. I never took my place. She had to find a new boy to carry on in my place. Bobby made a sad face. I could have made it big, though. The master said so herself. Where is she, then? Where is the soul eater? Is she too afraid to come out and face me? Anderson looked at him with wide eyes while getting back out of the fountain. Are you insane, man? Don't provoke it. Bobby shook his head. You don't get it, do you? She's not in here. Why would she be? She's out in the world. She is getting the next person in line. The one that can take over from her. The next apprentice. You mean Daryl Sunderson? Bobby laughed. Hell no. He's nobody. Just a means to bring the real one out. Jim stepped forward and took hold of Bobby's clothes, pulling him up eye to eye with himself. The boy grinned a wild, crazy grin that turned his face into a strange mask. Where? Tell me where she is out there. How do I find her? Oh, you'll find her. Or she'll find you. She just needs to find her brother first. Jim stared at Bobby as the pieces of the puzzle finally fell into place. Her brother. The soul eaters and the last kid it took. Linda Bradford. And she wants Andrew. She lured him here with a killing so she could get him. Bobby laughed again. Jim threw him down to the ground and turned to Anderson. I have to wake up, right now. Anderson nodded and stepped close to him, keeping a careful eye on Bobby who was getting to his feet. We can't leave him around like this. It's like having a wolf in a flock of sheep, man. He's dangerous. And how do you propose we take care of him? It's not like I brought spirit weapons. Anderson shook his head in dismay. You're still not getting it, are you? It's not what you bring. It's what you make. Jim nodded slowly. Right. As he stepped forward, he reached out his right hand. He imagined a blade springing out from his hand, extending like a steel finger. And as he did so, the blade materialized. He was aware that it looked a lot like the sword he had taken from the immortal Michael, but didn't dwell on it. But it felt right. He swung it in a flat arc, as if he was an accomplished sword fighter. Bobby didn't move, didn't try to dodge, just stood there. 
With a single cut, Jim severed the boy's head from his shoulders. The spirit didn't bleed, but instead vanished in a small flash. Anderson nodded. Nicely done, man. Is he gone? Was that really it? Not gone. He can't exactly kill a spirit, but he's pushed back away from this plane. Even if he manages to get back up, it should take him a long time to gather his strength, and I'll take care of him if he does. Then why didn't you do so now? Because I wanted to see if you could do what you just did. Anderson put a hand on Jim's shoulder. I wanted to see how you handled it. I'm impressed, to say the least. I don't think this is your last venture into the spirit world. Now let's get you woken up. Jim nodded. But the alarm is not... There was no warning, no in-between. One second he was in the square with Anderson. The next he sat bolt up in his bed. Ringing. He finished. He ran a hand over his face, looking at the alarm clock. He'd been sleeping for a little over two hours. He swung his legs out of bed and ran down the stairs. He had to find Andrew fast. For the first time in his life, he wished he owned a cell phone. <laughs>